Thank you for joining us on Warrior Women Speak. I'm Judge Rosemary Aquilina, author of Just Watch Me, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sherry Botwin, LCSW, social worker and trauma specialist and author of Thriving After Trauma, Stories of Living and Healing. We have created this podcast for your enjoyment and so that we all can talk about our issues and learn together about how to deal with trauma and those things that spring up in our everyday life. Please join us for every episode and let us know what you want to talk about. Now for the show. It's been an interesting couple of days. We all watched. I did not watch every minute because I was working and because I see these cases on the criminal side in front of me almost every week. But we all know about, unless you are cloistered in a convent, uh, the Depp Heard trial and the verdict ultimately Amber Heard owes Johnny Depp $8.35 million, $8,350,000. A lot of money. She says she can't pay it. In civil cases, my experience is when that happens, the person owing the money files bankruptcy and it goes away, which is not true in criminal cases. But you know, he's got his movie deals and all sorts of things back now. He wanted his credibility. He's gotten that. I think to an extent, she's gotten her credibility in her day in court, but she lost a lot as well. And there's really confusion about who are the winners here? Did it take the Me Too movement backward? But I can say this, and I've given it some thought through the articles I've waded through and what I've listened to is Johnny Depp, and here's what I want to say to him. If he weren't across the table at the coffee shop for me, I would say, Johnny, be the bigger man. Both of you were in this toxic relationship. Neither one of you walked. Just forgive the debt, shake her hand, and you both move forward with your life and don't communicate anymore anymore and the both of you can make strides in helping to educate people on what is a toxic relationship how they should have gotten out of it uh, what things you can do to recognize toxic relationships and use this as not a win-lose but a uh an educational moment. I love educational moments. And I think that for the world watching, this is an educational moment and not a step back for me too. Okay. So I know we, we, we've been talking about how are we going to, how are we going to have this conversation? What, what points do we want to make? What angles and what you just said? I don't think I've heard this I don't think I've heard anybody say what you just said, which is so powerful. The, the idea about talking with Johnny and saying to him, this is what you need to do. And to be able to say to both of them, 
this is something that you both experience, that you both can learn from, that you both can heal from. This was what I was waiting for for six weeks. I was waiting for, and I know this is not how court works. What I wanted the judge to say to both of them after a day or two of testimony, I wanted her to say, and this is the therapist of me, not the, because I'm not, I know I'm legally ill-equipped in many ways. There's so much I don't know about the law. I wanted her to say to both of them, what, do you, what, do, what purpose does this serve for both of you right now? What are you trying to accomplish by sitting in this courtroom? I wanted her to send them to therapy. I wanted the judge to say to both of them, this is not a trial. This is a, a train wreck. And this is going to wreak havoc in both of your lives. And it's going to affect millions of people out here who are struggling with things like sexual assault, domestic violence. That's what I wanted. So I think and that's there- wishful thinking. I just want to tell you this wishful thinking <laughs> judges can't interfere. I mean, I have at times I've had motions in front of me and I've said, you know, I can rule this way, but this is a family who's feuding and you're all going to attend the same weddings and funerals and you ought to get along because what you're doing now, mm-hmm. I can see the writing on the wall, what's going to happen. And I'm sure the lawyers have told you, but, and I usually say it to the lawyers, um, but yeah, I appreciate what you're saying. It's just not the, what we can do. You're, you're right. in wishful right. thinking land. Right. Well, and again, I know I, you're telling me I'm in wishful thinking land. If you all could see her expression on her <laughs> face right now, you would be cracking up. Listen, I know you can't actually do that, but I think what ended up happening was it's not even just what happened with them, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, but all the, all the fighting on social media, the bullying, this is where I got really upset people. And again, maybe you can help us understand this. I don't understand why there were cameras in that courtroom. And I also don't understand why after a day or two of having cameras in that courtroom and seeing what we were seeing on social media, why the judge or somebody couldn't have said, it's one thing to have this trial. It's another to make a mockery of it because that ended up affecting so many people. I was getting messages from survivors saying to me, now we're really screwed. Now there's no way anybody's going to listen to us. Or people were writing me and saying they were afraid that their abuser was going to sue them for defamation. People were writing me and one person wrote, please help me. And again, like, I can't, what can I do? I'm a person sitting here in the universe, having all kinds of feelings, just like everybody else. And I think that was one of the pieces that I struggle with. Now, maybe you can explain to us, first of all, why the flipping heck were there cameras in that courtroom and why once a trial starts and the world is going ballistic over these messages that they're listening to, they have opinions, the bullying and the mockery of domestic violence victims, survivors who had been through abuse saying Amber Heard is making us look bad. How can we, can you help us understand that piece? Yeah. So the public, the courtroom is a public courtroom and anyone is invited her courtroom. and, And there's no courtroom in the world that would have held all of the people who wanted to physically attend. So one of the things you can do and what we do now is have trials that are heard on zoom and we allow cameras in there. It's a public trial, public courtroom. The 
issue with anyone where there's domestic violence or defamation or rape. Uh, there's so many human trafficking. There's so many types of cases that when attorneys come to me and say, we know you love cameras in the courtroom because it's public courtroom and we're not disputing that. And they don't dispute it. There's no one that can dispute that, right? But they will say to me, we really want to protect the, the victim. Mm. And I will agree with that. There are certain cases where the print media is allowed. I, I can't stop that, but I can stop the cameras so they don't see a young person's face, um, those kinds of things. Because once it's out there, it really is out there. But I always let in the cameras for sentencing. With the Nasser case, we had cameras up and cameras down. When there was a, a young minor, Oh. Uh, if they and their parents did not agree, we just put cameras down. And again, then it was just in the print media because it is a public record, but I allowed them to use their uh, chosen, a different name, but I would know the name, right? A chosen name or number. Um, and that's where you heard a lot of the victims said, I am not a number, I am a name. And they came forward, but with good reason, a half a dozen did not want to be on camera. They didn't want the real name with good reason. And, you know, we have uh, blocked that uh, access to, to that information. So we have to be very careful, but let's play the, the opposite. Let's suppose the cameras were not in that courtroom. And now the public does not understand the testimony does not understand the judge's rulings. Now we have a lot of questions. How could she have lost? What happened? Did he bully her? What, you know? And so neither side really gets their full story out. And what ends up happening is there's a big difference between credible testimony and incredible testimony. And the jury has to decide what testimony they believe and what testimony they don't believe. Now, the public, as you've noted, had a really strong opinion and they tended to believe uh, Johnny Depp over Amber Heard. And they found him more credible than her. Uh, there's a lot that goes into is the testimony credible, incredible? Who do we believe? What is it based on? There are a lot of jury instructions that we give. I can go over some of those as we discuss this. But ultimately, I think in the long run, it was a good thing that this was aired so that people don't feel like secrets are hidden. And you know, you do as a judge have to maintain some control. I think there there weren't any. There was nothing that I recall in that trial that was offensive, but demeanor means a lot. And there were times when she answered questions that I even questioned my head and thought, geez, I wonder what the jury's thinking. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of triggers, trauma, uh, passage of time. There's, there's all sorts of things. Right. I mean, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as you're sitting here talking about your perspective on it, it, it does make sense to me um, why there might have been reason to why there why the public is allowed the benefits of letting the world watch this. I guess what I'm thinking, you know, as we're sitting here today, is how do we take 
these last six weeks of testimony and what I guess I would call more, what is, what did you say? There's credible testimony and incredible. Yes. Incredible okay. testimony. So credible testimony has to do with the witnesses, truth and veracity. You know, how believable are they? Incredible testimony is testimony that is so extraordinary. It's just so out of the realm of possibilities that it really seems to us that we use our logic and common sense and we say it's impossible. For example, if you walk into your living room and your five-year-old is there and so is the dog and there is a broken vase and you say to the five-year-old, who broke the vase. And the five-year-old says the dog did it. Now it may very well be credible if the circumstances are that the vase was in a location where the dog's running and could have run into it and tipped it over. But if it was on the fireplace mantle, is it credible that the dog leaped up there, pushed it down and broke it? Right. Or is it more credible that the five-year-old climbed on the mantle tried to grab it, to look at it and dropped it. Right, and right. so it becomes credible versus incredible. And then, you know, we, we have to look at the reliability of the witnesses statements. How accurate is the testimony? How accessible was the witness to the information? What did they observe? What did they recall? What did they recount? You know, how did they look and act while testifying? Did they tend to avoid the uh, questions of the lawyers, right? right? Um, and answer their own question. Did they fight with the lawyers? Those things tend to undermine credibility and seem not reliable. And then if there's inconsistencies, so those inconsistencies in testimony that are shown during cross-examination or even direct, uh, tend to go more towards the incredibility because they seem unreliable because the witness is not testifying properly. So what you have to do with that is that you have to look at independent extrinsic evidence that exists that will verify or refute the testimony. And that was difficult in this case. Yeah. And as you're explaining what all this means, I'm sitting here thinking, this is why it's so difficult for people who have been abused or assaulted. This is why it's so difficult because first of all, as a survivor, something that, um, you know, we talk about a lot when I'm in therapy with people is they don't think that people are going to believe them because they feel like what happened to them is so extraordinary. It might not be the same choice of words that you're using, but unfathomable, unimaginable. So I think part of the challenge is, you know, when you're taking your case into a legal setting and you're trying to do all these things that you're talking about, whether it's prove, prove yourself in some way, you have to appear a certain way in front of the jury. I think when it comes to PTSD and domestic violence and sexual assault, one of the most disempowering parts of being in those experiences is in order to survive them, we have to dissociate or we have to disconnect. So when it comes to trial and we're being asked, and again, I've never been in court. I've never been a wit. I've never been somebody who's pursued any type of legal action. I only have a couple clients through the years that have been what I would say brave enough 
to face their abusers in court. But when you're being cross-examined and you're being asked questions about when, why, how, we don't remember a lot of what happened or the memories get very fragmented and you're so disoriented in the experience that to then have to try and be consistent. I think one of the biggest problems for people who are trying to work through their histories is they feel inconsistent because their memories don't come back in order. Right. Even a witness who appears honest, confident, convincing is not necessarily an accurate witness and a credible witness may give unreliable evidence or simply not recall the evidence, um, making that testimony unreliable, which is why we look at, uh, direct evidence, circumstantial evidence. We ask juries to look at what best fits. And we know that memories are fallible. They make mistakes based on so many reasons, but trauma, the passage of time, life experiences, those things can distort the memory of what happened. Even I've seen witnesses who saw something in the dark told the truth about what they saw, but they were wrong, right? Or at a certain angle, witnesses have seen something or heard something, and they've told the truth about what they thought they saw or heard, but they were wrong simply because of the place they were in. And a jury has to evaluate all of that. And they have to pay attention to serious inconsistencies of a witness and then look at the evidence and testimony and the present and past accounts. And really it's a puzzle. What fits best? Yeah. So what do you feel like the takeaways are from the, the ending of this trial or the verdict that came in? What, what now for people who are questioning the me too movement for people who are thinking about, well, maybe I shouldn't speak because if I speak, what if I get sued for defamation? And I have my own thoughts about this in terms of me too, and where we are, because I personally don't think that this particular trial has anything to do with me too, in the sense that I don't think of it as a step backward. I think this was a high profile case where we had two people who were clearly not in good places, we're not treating each other well, we're not in what we would consider a healthy relationship. So when you hear the verdict and you think about now what 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 comes to mind? Yeah, you know, nobody knows what happened between the two of them. Right. Uh, if you look back in their history, they had just sort of this volatile, traumatic relationship all along. She wins in the UK, he wins here. What I see is it's somewhere in between and it's, it's balanced. And I think everybody needs to move on the effect of me too. I don't think it's a setback either. I think that anger is very, very powerful. I see what it can do in court, but I also see what it's done for me. When, when somebody says no to me, that makes me angry and I turn it into a yes, lawfully, but creatively. Right. And I'm hoping that women, uh, abused people, because it's not just women that this affects, but abused people uh, get angry and say, you know, this is, has made me stronger. It's given me the fortitude to come forward, to have my day in court, win or lose. The fact that I have used my voice to expose something 
that happened to me makes me stronger and wiser and helps other people. I'm hoping it doesn't have what we call in the legal business, a chilling effect, which means that it freezes people out. It, it makes them not want to testify, to come forward, to make their complaints. But I think we've seen a lot of this pendulum going backward and forward. We've had Epstein and Cosby and Weinstein and R. Kelly and Prince Andrew. And there've been a number of uh, moves forward and moves backward in each of those cases. And I have to say that credibility is not the same as honesty. You know, who does the jury believe? The jury was not there. It's based on evidence. Evidence isn't always perfect. And I think we just have to say, look, these are two people who shouldn't have been together. And as far as juries go, I talk, I've talked to thousands of people who've been on my juries. I talked to each panel every single time both at the district level when I was there and now at the circuit level. And it is never now, it was in the beginning, but it's never now surprising to me when we talk to the jury and a prosecutor will say, what could I have done differently? Mm -hmm. Because they are heartbroken that they lost. And honestly, uh, the common thread from juries who've never talked to each other, right? Will say, this is the life they've chosen. Now that is not an element in defamation. It's not an element in any criminal charge, Um, but people have no sympathy for those who stay in situations, cause a situation or have been benefited by a situation only to come out of it wanting more. And so we have uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard who have these charmed lives that very few, less than 1% of the population will ever live. They benefited each other. They also tortured each other, so to speak, um, and traumatized each other throughout their relationship. It was very volatile. Neither one of them walked. And so now the public gets to hear a real life um, story unfold. And sadly, many people go through it. Um, I think that overall, they need to, like I said earlier, walk away lesson learned. And hopefully Me Too continues on a positive trajectory. Um, But I want to say before you jump in, I'm I have this other concern. And the other concern that I have is that we have come to a place where we are looking at setting back women. And I don't think this case does it, but I do think that other things do it. We all need to pay attention. Roe versus Wade, reversing that makes women third class citizens. It worked for 49 years. It makes men in first place, unborn, unviable fetuses, second place, women in third place. We have transgender uh, competitions in our, the competitors, I should say, in the Olympics and other sports where they're not on the medicine long enough. They are not equal hormonally to women. And so now we have men being in first place, transgender being in second, and women, again, being third class. 
I think what we all need to do is to ask again, I'm going to get on this sailboat and keep sailing around until everybody joins in with me and ask in this election year, what are the legislators going to do to legislate these problems, create new crimes, create new standards, uh, look at court rules if the, if the Supreme Court won't, and figure out how we can equalize this because we're overcorrecting, we're undercorrecting, but women are being demonized regardless of what happens. We are going lower and lower instead of more toward equality and equity. And I'm troubled by all of this. I know you are. And like, when you think about this trial and what we've seen, it sounds like what you're saying is you don't feel like this particular trial and the verdict, the verdict itself is the problem. You're not feeling like that's going to be a setback. It's more the bigger picture, I think is right. what you're saying. Right. 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 And I think we talked about this some last week. There's things people can do in their energy and their anger. There's things people can do. They can speak up. They can write letters. They can, they can go and, you know, say this is not okay to whoever they want to say that to. So I think what we're at is we're kind of at a crossroads because on the one hand, we're saying, no, the verdict is not going to be a setback for me too. But then what you're also saying is we've got these other things going on that could be a setback, not in me too, but a setback for women uh, to be able, like when you're talking about demonizing women, I don't know if you feel like that is part of what happened in the trial. If you feel like so many people taking, do you feel like that or? You know, I, I watched some of her testimony and I think it really comes down to incredibility and yeah. so many other things. And, you know, I, I can't second guess the jury and quite honestly, those people who were commenting outside the presence of the jury uh, were, were also in his favor. I mean, remember this was, it was uh, not a, an assaultive crime. It was um, one where she publicly uh, said wrong statements about him, defamation. And so he proved uh, in most instances that what she said was false and she identified him. He lost jobs because of it. And there was injury and harm and actual malice because of their relationship and all of that. So we have to take that out of the realm of that's not me too. Right. So I think people need to separate it out, but if you're looking at this, Google it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fact that women are more than half the population of the United States, but we are not the priority of legislators. So women out there run for office, prioritize us, at least equalize us. I'm not asking to be greater than, I'm asking to be equal. And I think that you all stand shoulder to shoulder with me on that. But until legislators properly address consequences and statute limitations, and give us our bodies that we have a right to, uh, we aren't going anywhere but backward. Right. And I think this is where, too, in, in this country, we're so divided. We're so, there, we're, there's like, there's such strong reactions and feelings and opinions on both sides. And that concerns me because when I watch these political commercials, which I can't stand. 
and I listened to this one commercial this morning where the guy running for governor says, and in cases of rape and incest, I still do not feel an abortion is okay. And I think you basically just messed up my whole morning because what you just said on that commercial made me so mad and so upset. And I want to go find people who say these things and, you know, yell and scream and do all this stuff. I think this is, what are you supposed to do with all that emotion and anger? How can you, how can you say that you're going to, you're going to not allow somebody to make a choice after they've been in a situation where they didn't have a choice? Well, first of all, let me just put this out there and I have an op-ed I've, I've got to get published, but, and it's in there as well. Cause I'm so aggravated by this issue. If men conceived babies, would this be an issue? No, they would make their own rules, whether or not they wanted to have that baby and whether or not they wanted to use birth control and all of that. But right now they're ordering us to either use or not use uh, birth control because that's abusive. They order us now to have a baby or be imprisoned. Are you kidding? I mean, why don't we order them for castration or order them um, to have a vasectomy? I mean, we have no such right and that would be inhumane. Why do they have a say over our bodies? When you're looking at girls and women conceiving 7,750 to 12,500 children as a result of rape or incest. And of those women, they are 10 times more likely to use major drugs than individuals who do not experience sexual assault. And when you're looking at approximately 463,634 victims of rape or sexual assault every year, 90% 90 of them are female and 94% of them suffer PTSD symptoms and nearly one third contemplate suicide. But yet men are telling us how we should act and what we should do with our bodies. I mean, Sherry, you've got a never ending list of clients because women need you. <laughs> well, I think I'm, and when you say that, I think I need to go see my therapist now and talk to her. I need my therapist. I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's so upsetting and it's enraging and I know you all can't see our faces, but if you could have just seen uh, Judge Aquilina, she literally looks like she's going to come through my screen. <laughs> she's got so much feeling and emotion and I'm with you on that. And I think what we have to do is we have to figure out how to manage with all these different things that are going on in this country that make no, they don't really make any sense. I think right. it doesn't make any sense. We fought, we have fought for decades to have equal rights to be able to make choices about what we do and don't do when it comes to our bodies. We have come far in the legal system in terms of reporting for things like sexual assault. There are states that now have changed their statute of limitations so you can come forward. I don't know if you know this. Uh, we didn't talk about this today before we went on, but uh, another Cosby alleged victim is currently in trial. I don't know if you, Judith. Huff, yes, she she's claiming that she was abused by Cosby when she's when she was 15 years old. So that that case just started on Thursday or Friday, opening statements. 
Um, so I feel like what we have to do is we have to figure out how to balance the part of us that's so angry and enraged about all the steps that people are trying to take to bring women backwards. And then we also have to focus on and stay hopeful about all the changes that we have made. The fact that people can write about their experiences of abuse or that they can sit in a courtroom and seek justice, that they can find organizations where they can get support. That is progress. If this were a hundred years ago, that was, there was no hotlines. There was no social media support. There were not, there were very few therapists who would even take on somebody who had trauma history because they didn't feel adequately trained to help somebody who has these histories. So I feel like, you know, it's sort of like everything else that's going on right now. It's so black and white. We're so divided. We have things that are going on in the world that are amazing and a million steps forward. And then we're talking about this other stuff with Roe v. Wade. We're talking about the fallout from the Depp Heard trial, which I think we both agree on. It's not really a step backwards, even though some people say it is. So we have to figure out how to kind of like, how do we focus on both parts and how do we make space to feel hopeful and continue to fight versus just give up? Because we can't do that. Exactly. And I want to say, and I I know you feel the same way. I love men. Okay. I I don't want to come off as some man hater because I'm not. Some of my best friends are male. Some of the people I rely on the most are male. Um, The bottom line is I don't like, and I don't think you like abusive people. Let's put it that way. And you have a son. I have two sons and three daughters. I don't want men wrongfully accused. I don't want fingers pointed at all men. I think the younger generation, and I work with thousands of students um, because I teach and do lots of things. um, And I think the younger generations are coming up differently than the older generations, but you know, they're more accepting and they're open to change and these conversations and all, all sorts of things, but we must have accountability and continue these conversations so that, you know, if you're in a traumatic relationship, you have the strength to leave, or you can find a support network or a therapist who can help you leave. leave. And if you are sexually assaulted that you know you have a right to report Mm -hmm. and be believed and let a prosecutor you know issue charges have it go to trial and a jury will decide most juries get it right i've seen a few that Mm -hmm. i think are questionable but i think that we have the best legal system in the world Mm -hmm. we need improvements i talk about those all the time as i go speaking around the world but you know i'm really satisfied, I think, with our justice system, even though it seems like an injustice system many times, we just need to start coming closer to the middle. Yeah, we definitely need to start coming closer to the middle. We need to figure out how to better protect victims of abuse and assault and domestic violence so that when they're in that courtroom or they're in the therapist's office, they don't have to keep being re-traumatized over and over. We need to figure out how to 
come together, you know, the legal system, the, the therapy world to really support people. And I agree with you too, when you were saying about men, it's not just women, even though the statistics are very highly uh, favoring that women are victims. I would like, I would say to you, the statistics probably are not completely accurate because men do not come forward. In my experience of working with men, they're so embarrassed, they're so ashamed. They have convinced themselves that there's no way if people don't believe women, they're definitely not gonna believe men. So while these are good statistics, I don't know how accurate they are in the sense that I think there are many more men out here who are also victim to some of the stuff that we see in these high profile court cases. So I think there's just so much work we need to continue to do. Um, and this is one of those, I think this trial and the outcome, I think there's a lot of, like we were saying at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of good that could come out of this if we do it in the right way. If we focus not on the mockery and the sort of the sensationalism of the trial, but we focus on the bigger picture, the lessons, the opportunity for education, healing. What do you think? Totally agree. But I also think it's a lesson, I think, for therapists and for counsel to, and I always did this in practice, and you can never, ever put an answer, as you know, and therapists are even better at this than lawyers, I think. You can't put an answer in your client's um, mouth, right? But I used to practice. Sometimes my clients would sit there and say, but you're my lawyer. I say, well, this is just practice. I need you to be prepared because this is how it's going to feel. So I would ask some really hard, tough questions as they sat across from me in my conference room. And I think that another lesson from this um, Depp Heard trial is, you know, I don't, I don't know that she was emotionally ready um, before the kind of cross-examination, which was brutal that she would undergo cross-examination is in the legal business considered the greatest truth teller that we have. You ask questions out of order. You ask them so they can only answer yes, no, you lock them in and, you know, you make them really recant or regurgitate in a different way, what they said to make their credible testimony, incredible. And I think that therapists could do a whole lot of conversation and even some practice. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? How will you handle it? What words are you going to use? And not tell them what to say, because that would be improper. But so that they are ready for the emotional struggle, the internal fight they're going to have as they're even spewing any words out of their mouth, because it, it, sometimes I've seen witnesses have to choke out words uh, through tears as they're shaking. Um, a lot of times that comes off as credible. Sometimes then what they say comes off incredible. And I think attorneys need to have that hardcore practice. This is, these are questions that are, you may be asked. Mm -hmm. And I think this is some of maybe what's missing. You know, when I think about my experience of being at the Cosby trials and knowing that these witnesses were being cross-examined and there was there were advocates sitting in the courtroom, but nobody was sitting with them. I think, you know, actually helping them because it's a court case, you can't do that. But I think therapists and 
lawyers and, and, and judges, we all kind of need to come together and figure out how to best support and best make this process. And not even just for the victims, but also for the alleged accusers, because again, they go through their own experience. Um, and I think that that's maybe one of the maybe one of the positive things that will come out of this when, you know, you were saying about Heard and her, what felt like lack of preparation. It didn't really feel like she knew what she was up against. And it, for me, again, I don't have a personal opinion towards her because I don't know what happened, but when I see a witness, right. We'll never know. Right. But when I watch a witness being ripped to shreds and not even just her, I've seen it done to experts, who are serving on trials, trying to advocate for victims. It's heartbreaking because that's going to send people to therapy for years, what they experienced in court that one day. And, but it's something that happens in a courtroom. So I think, you know, as we're getting ready to wrap up today's show, I think what we have to focus on is what are the takeaways? What are the opportunities and what are the lessons that we can have come out of this six weeks of what felt like crazy making um, Hollywood movie television at some points. Right. I mean, prepare your witnesses better, uh, be ready for cross-examination. It's, there's an emotional toll there. It's trauma. Um, I, I think that if you're working with a therapist, you could even bring your therapist to court. She's not, unless they're going to testify, then they'd be recused, but they could sit there and listen and be there for you on break. Uh, not to coach you, we don't want any coaching, but just as emotional support. Again, I would just implore Johnny Depp, he doesn't know me, I don't know him, but just to forgive the debt, be the bigger person, you each one, one, call it a draw and move forward and just really talk about trauma, toxic relationships. Uh, listen to our show. We've had several episodes on these things, you know? <laughs> We'll be happy to answer any questions you people want, but we, we need we we need to sort of unravel this in a positive lesson learned fashion because we're never going to know. The jury did a good job; they listened, the world listened, everybody came to the same conclusion. But where does that leave us? Nobody really knows what happened. They each won one and separate, but let's use this as these teachable moments. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're left with teachable moments, many, many, many of them. Yeah. Teachable moments, but also like you're saying, but we also, we need to move on. You know, that, that, that feeling of, can we stop talking about this? Can we stop hearing about this? Can we like get on to other more important things? These are some of the things that people have been saying as the trial went on and on and on. And they're going to talk about it because I think yeah. she's appealing. She and is that's appealing. Where, yeah. And so that's yeah. where I think, you know, Johnny, really get going, make a call or do it through your PR person, just, or do a press release saying, Amber, you don't have to pay me. Let's move on. We each won one. And I think that would do a lot for his career too. I think he's really excited to get back, you know, his life after some of the negative things that happened after her, what Washington Post article came out. Mm -hmm. And then maybe she can get on with her career as well. I think they're both uh, very fine actors and let's see more of them, but not in the courtroom. Right. So I think this is going to be one of those stories that we're going to be coming back to probably next season 
I'm, I want to know where we're going to be six months from today. That's what I want to know. Are we going to see what you're saying should happen? Cause I think it's wonderful. Or are we going to be watching an appeal trial? What's going to happen? So we're going to have to see how this all unfolds because it's clearly not the end. Yeah. You know, when I see these things going on and I know this is part of what you deal with, with people in therapy, it's about unresolved issues. It's got nothing to do with the courtroom drama. It's got to do with unresolved issues between them. And I think we can safely say to both of them, the issues are not ever going to be resolved. Move forward. The best thing you can do is live the happiest, best life you can and apart from each other. Absolutely. Agree with that? Uh, definitely apart from each other. And I'm hoping maybe that they could both do some, and again, I don't know if they're in therapy, but they both have trauma histories from childhood. They both have deep rooted pain that came before their relationship with each other that got played out in their relationship with each other. So let's hope that they do what they need to do for themselves and that that ends up positively affecting everybody else around them who are listening to this story. That's my hope. And that being said, I think that means our time is up. And remember, if you like what you're listening to, you want us to continue, remember, write us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We really, really, really would appreciate that. You have a topic you want us to talk about, we'll add it to the list. We have an enormous list, a lot of requests, and we thank you all for listening. I love your advocacy for our show. I think it's amazing. And um I think this was a great conversation. I'm curious. I really am curious to hear what people think about the conversation and what your reactions were, because I know people feel very strongly about this stuff. So please feel free to let us know what your thoughts are. And we will look forward to seeing everybody next week. Until then. See See ya. ya. Thanks so much for joining us today on Warrior Women Speak. It truly is an honor to be able to sit down with Judge Aquilina and have such meaningful conversations. Stay tuned. Each Monday, we will be releasing new episodes in the hopes that we will inspire, uplift, and instill hope. Be sure to subscribe now to at Warrior Women Speak. Until next time.